my first sale, uh, I, was, I was still a senior at, at UCLA when I got my license. Oh wow. One of my wealthy friends that was actually going to UCLA at the time wanted to purchase a condo uh, in the Wilshire Corridor. So you're and like, first hey, sale, I can help. A, a $1.5 million sale, yeah. Nice, that's a way to kickstart. Yeah, it was, I made more on that deal than what Morgan Stanley had offered me for the first <laughs> year of work, so that definitely solidified my decision to go into real estate. <laughs> Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the titans of real estate. The show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. In this episode, Sandro Hassan. Thank you to our show sponsor, Bo Concept. Today's guest is lucky enough to call Malibu, California his home as one of the top real estate agents in the country and as the managing partner of the agency's Malibu office. Please welcome to the show, Sandro Dasan. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning. You're one of those rare individuals who were born and raised in Malibu, California. Tell us your story. Yeah, so I was born and raised here. I went to Webster Elementary School, Malibu High. It was truly a dream uh, being able to uh, grow up here, playing uh, AYSO soccer and baseball on the Bluffs Park with the ocean in the background, graduating high school with you know 30 kids that I went to kindergarten with. So it was truly an amazing experience for sure. So Malibu is, in, in my mind, I grew up in Westlake Village, which is not too far. Malibu is paradise. So what's it like growing up in paradise? Uh, it's something about just the rural character of our community, the open space. I grew up in a time before cell phones, so we were always outside playing, whether it was surfing or Imagine sports, that. you know, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, just using our imagination and being outdoors. And here in Malibu, there's um, tons of, of open space and whether it's the beaches or the mountains, we kind of have it all here. So when you were young, do you think you realized how special this place was when you were young or? I realized at a young age, probably when I was about 13 or 14, when we started traveling for baseball in Pony League, we would go to the different neighborhoods. We would play Simi Valley or Silmar and we would go to their fields and I would see where they lived. And then we're, we were playing with the ocean in the background. I was like, wow, we're, we're very lucky to, to be able to live here and, and, and be in this community. So let me throw you a twist. What kind of trouble did you get into when you were when you were a kid? Oh, the typical stuff, you know, shooting BB guns, breaking neighbors' windows with rocks when you're little kids. <laughs> but not not too much trouble. Never never arrested. <laughs> All right, good. Clean record. Clean record. For the so record. Far. Clean record. Yeah. Did you have a nickname growing up? Yeah, I had lots of nicknames because my name is very unusual. Uh, it's Italian. It's short for Alessandro. My friends growing up called me Dro, Sandy, the Sandman. Uh, I can go on and on. <laughs> That's great. When you were young, did you have any early career aspirations when you were like in high school or even before? Like, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a you know, pro surfer. I want to be... Um, you know, I, once I was in high school, you know, I always kind of wanted to be in finance or banking. I just thought that it sounded cool and glamorous and a lot of money, you know, so... 
I went to UCLA and studied economics and thought that's what I wanted to do. And interned with uh, Morgan Stanley for a summer and realized that being in a cubicle, suit and tie, indoors wasn't for me. And unfortunately, it's not very Malibu. No, it wasn't. And I, I didn't really realize, you know, what I was used to. So it was definitely a shock to the system. I'm glad I didn't go that route. That makes total sense. So last November, Malibu was devastated by the Woolsey fire, which burned, I think, just under 100,000 acres and destroyed over 1,600 buildings and I believe destroyed over 600 homes. So as a Malibu local and insider, tell us about the impact that that horrible fire had on the community. Yeah, it was very devastating. I've been through three or four fires growing up here in Malibu. They're always very scary. It's a way of life. It's mother nature out here. This one was definitely the largest and moved the fastest and the most devastating. But what is, I think, great is to see how our community is able to come together in a time like this, where anybody that needs anything, the way that people were bringing in supplies by boat, everybody just drops everything and will do anything really for, for their neighbor. It's been a rallying cry, yeah. Yeah, so that was great to see. And we will rebuild and rebuild stronger and we'll plan better. So for the next fire, we'll be better prepared. Going through something that devastating, do you think anything has changed forever in terms of like, it'll never be the same? Like, is there any component in, in the community that that has been forever altered? You know, I think... If anything, it's going to be how we react to the next fire. I think our our goal is to learn how to grow and adapt with climate change, with these fires getting bigger and faster, how we can protect ourselves and our community and our loved ones and our animals. That's what's really going to change. But everything else about Malibu and why it's special and beautiful is always going to be here for sure. In terms of real estate and let's, you know, home pricing, how has that affected the fire affected pricing and or just across the board? Well, as far as the activity, it's the market basically shut down for three to four months after the fire. We had the fire, then we had a very intense rain season in the winter. So that, you know, we had about our units sold and our total volume sold in all of Malibu is down about 50% year to date compared to last year, which is understanding because of the fire and basically everything shut down for several months. And that being said, we're not really seeing downward pressure on prices yet. Because the market went on pause for several months, the inventory also decreased dramatically. Typically, we hover around 230 homes on the market between on the beach and off the beach. Uh, right now, we just got up to about 190. So we're still not at our mm-hmm. typical level, uh, inventory level, which has been the same. You know, We've been at that 230 level for several years. We always kind of hover around that. Mm-hmm. So once the inventory gets back to normal and we don't see the sales kind of keep up, then we may see downward pressure on prices. But as of right now, we're not seeing that yet. So with that supply constraint, you might see a consistent or even uptick in demand over the mid mid to long term. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we're actually seeing, I mean, year to date, our median sale price is actually a tick higher than it was uh, this time last year. Well, so... What about insurability? I have a friend whose home was unfortunately burned down in Point Doom area. And we were talking about just how crazy the insurance, the homeowner's insurance, and going forward, how difficult it's going to be to get it. What's that look like right now? It is difficult. We have uh, a few resources that are providing insurance. It's extremely expensive in, in certain areas. They're definitely requiring proper brush clearance. 
they're doing site inspections. They're, they're going to want certain trees cut down around houses to obtain the insurance. I'm doing that with that right now where a seller of a property in escrow is having to remove a tree that's next to the house so they can get it insured. But we can still get it done. We have a few resources. So you mentioned earlier that you got a degree from UCLA, mm -hmm. economics. That's what my degree was. Oh, nice. UC Santa Barbara, so right. just down cool. or up the coast. So I want to ask you, tell us about your life before real estate. Well, before real estate, I went into real estate right after graduating UCLA. My mother was in the business. She's still in the business, been in it since I was born. So that's what got me into it. So before it was UCLA and, and high school, a lot of surfing, a lot of skiing, a lot of family time, you know, definitely, you know, being outdoors is my favorite thing to do. We don't live near the snow, but I spent a lot of time skiing in Mammoth and traveling and heli skiing in British Columbia. So nice. that's definitely one of my passions. Is Mammoth your go-to? Mammoth's my go-to. We have a place there, so I try and get as many days in as I can, which is becoming less and less every year as I get busier with business. But I try and do at least two heli trips a year where I can get, you know, eight days of powder skiing, will usually keep me happy. Ski versus snowboard? Ski versus, right. yes. You're, you're old school still, I, I love am. it. I'm still old school, yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell us about your family was in real estate. Tell us about how they got into real estate and all that. Uh, my mother's, yeah, been selling real estate since before I was born, 1980. Got into the business because she was always a great saleswoman. That's Irene, right? That's Irene, And she's yeah. been very successful. Been very successful. She started with Fred Sands and Beverly Hills, then moved to the Palisades, I was a, a top agent with John Douglas that then became a uh, coal banker and is uh, still a top agent. And that's who I learned from and owe all my success to for sure. Very cool. So you had that in the DNA. So what was the year you started selling, officially selling real estate? Uh, it would have been 2005, which was actually uh, my first sale. I was, I was a, still a senior at, at UCLA when I got my license. Oh, wow. One of my wealthy friends that was actually going to UCLA at the time wanted to purchase a condo uh, in the Wilshire Corridor. So you're like, hey, sale. I can help. It was a $1.5 million sale, yeah. Nice. That's a way to kickstart. Yeah, it was, I made more on that deal than what Morgan Stanley had offered me for the first <laughs> year of work. So that definitely solidified my decision to go into real estate. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's sort of a double-edged sword, though, right? Because, like, that's sort of the myth yeah. with real estate. Oh, it's so easy. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, every, every sale is $2 million yeah. and you're, you're getting $40,000, $50,000 paychecks. Yeah. And so that's why you have this huge influx of agents year after year. Yes. Everybody thinks it's easy, but it's a lot of hard work. The way I learned was being an assistant, being paid hourly by my mother. And the only way you learn the business is by seeing the transactions. So yeah. I was fortunate enough to step into an office that was doing tons of volume, lots of transactions. So after about five years working in the business, I had more experience than some people, you know, doing being in the business for 10 years yeah, and slowly work my way up to a partner with my mom. That's great. So it's funny because any sales commission type business, and I've been in sales all my life and now I'm an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you have to have this certain sort of makeup, you know, because it's feast or famine, right? Totally. It's your hero or zero and there's huge You got to be and hungry downs. and you got to bust your ass. And you got to figure it out, right? And you have to figure out how to do it consistently and, and yeah. You have to love it. I mean, I think the reason I've been successful is because I, I love and I believe in what I sell. And that's Malibu real estate in this community. Yeah. And people are drawn towards me because they see my passion for yeah. Malibu. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So your first sale, 1.5 million. Not bad, Sandro. What was your biggest sale? 
Uh, my biggest sale was actually a $50 million land deal, which was the highest land sale in the history of Malibu. Nice. Yeah. That's a big That's a big deal. <laughs> it, it was a big deal, yeah. <laughs> what did they end up doing with that land? Was it developed? Uh, yeah, so it's fully entitled for five homes, which right now my client, Scott Gillen, who purchased it, is developing five unbelievable mid-century style homes. And what Scott owns, what's the name of his company? Uh, Unvarnished. Unvarnished, yeah. So I've yeah. seen, I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah, he's the biggest, most successful developer here in Malibu. And I represent the Castle, which we have listed for $75 million that's on the market right now. And the case is the uh, the land deal that I was okay. just referring to, which are five architectural homes. Um, they're right on the bluff, adjacent to the Bluffs Park. What's the story behind the castle again? So the castle actually used to be a Scottish castle that was built by a dentist in the late 70s, early 80s. It burned in the 2007 fire to the ground. Um, I sold it to Scott uh, back in 2011 or 12. He then built a new spec home, which we dubbed the New Castle. It doesn't resemble a castle, it's very uh, contemporary and lots of glass and amazing views and 85-foot three-sided infinity-edge pool that drops wow. into the ocean right over Surfrider Beach. But we call it the New Castle because the old castle was a landmark in Malibu. You would drive by Cross Creek and look up on the hill. No, I remember that as a kid. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. So in real estate or just in life, what do you think has been your biggest failure, mistake, sort of lesson learned that you can look back and go, you know, this was a moment that I really had an impact on me? That's a great question. I mean, there's been lots of mistakes along the way. I would say it'd have to be with communication uh, that I've learned over the years is lack of communication in real estate is what causes mistakes or failures. In life. Yeah, and in life. So uh, for me and my business, definitely one of the best lessons I've learned is, is communication is key, for sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I always say communication is the greatest tool that we have in, in life yeah. and in business and whatever, in marriage. Completely in all aspects of life, for sure. Yeah. You know, and you've got to use it and understand it wisely because it is make or break, you know, on a lot of levels. I think I know the answer to this question, but tell us, who's been the biggest influence on you in your career has made the most impact? Well, definitely my mother, because she's the one who got me into the sure. business. I learned the most from her. We were partners for 12 years. So I came over here to the agency about a year and a half ago. And a lot, most of, not everything that I've learned and become successful with was from my mom, for sure. It's a great story. So what are you proudest of? Well, I'm proudest of my new son, who uh, was born about six and a half months ago, for Congrats. sure. Yeah, so... Being able to raise him in the community where I grew up in has you know, been always one of my number one wishes and dreams in life. And now you know, I have him here and I have a wonderful fiance. So I'm definitely proud of uh, our, our new young family. Good for you. That's great. Great to hear. So I'm going to backtrack a bit. We talked about you, the person. So I think we have a beginning idea of Sandro and who Sandro is. But I want to give our audience some context around some of the amazing things you've accomplished in this industry. And correct me if I'm wrong on some of these stats, sure. but currently you have over $300 million in listing inventory that's active on yep. the market. Mm -hmm. Last year you did over $160 million in sales and transactions. You currently have three active Malibu listings over $40 million, Yep. Which is amazing. And we have some off-market ones too, but those are active, yep. And then we talked about a little bit, I want to hear more in a bit about your role as managing partner of the agency's Malibu office. 
And you were previously on the top producing real estate team at Colwell with Irene. Yes. How many years was that? Uh, about 12, 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. You've had the highest land sale ever in Malibu at 50 million. Yep. You've been featured on Forbes 30 under 30 list. And you've been consistently ranked among the top agents in the country. So congratulations on all your success. It's not thank you, thank not you an so easy much. feat. And I commend you to keep. And you're having even a better start to 2019 than you did. Yeah, last year was the best year of my career, and uh, this year has actually started off, even considering the fire, uh, better than last year. So that's phenomenal. So let's dive into real estate a little bit more. The markets and neighborhoods you represent here in Malibu are some of the most affluent and exclusive in the country. We talked about the fires, and I want to ask you some more questions relative to real estate around the fires. But this year, 2019, you know, they talk about real estate cycles being every, you know, eight, nine, ten years, mm-hmm. right? And it's seemingly we're at the end of one and the beginning of another. Sure. So, you know, buyers and sellers, I'm sure they're always asking you, hey, is it a good time to sell, a good time to buy? What's your take on that right now? I'm a long-term believer in Malibu real estate. I believe it's going up. If you're buying for the long term, you're you're not going to lose here in Malibu. It's becoming more and more popular every year. It's becoming more and more global and international. The people that are coming here from all over the world are coming here because of the amenities that we're getting now. Ten years ago, Malibu did not have the amenities that we have. We just had Whole Foods that opened up Mm -hmm. a whole new shopping center. You know, what Nobu and Soho House and the Nobu Hotel, the draw, the international, you know, wealth that has been drawn yeah. because of those venues uh, has been huge and uh, a big draw for the high-end Malibu real estate market as well. So take us back to 2008 when the market dumped along with the Great Recession. How bad was Malibu hit relative to, like, did it go down 5%, 4%, uh, It was 8%? down certain areas in Malibu, so especially off the beach, were down as much as 50%. Wow, that bad? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, some areas in Malibu were just recovered to the pre-crash levels about a year ago. Wow. So let's break down the Malibu market. I think this would be interesting. Like the South Bay market, as you know, real estate is local. Sure. Within the local, Zillow can't understand. And, you know, the people that are looking from afar, from a macro lens, that, you know, even a zip code, there's multiple different neighborhoods. And within those neighborhoods, even street level has different vibes, price points, so break down Malibu for us. You got the obviously Malibu Beach, and yeah. you got so well, break Malibu it down. Is very technical. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know that you know it's 27 miles long, so 27 miles of coastline, and every half mile can be completely different than the next. So you have all these different neighborhoods. You have different beaches. You have the canyons, which are the arteries that lead to the valley, and each canyon has its own neighborhood. So you have all these. You have off the beach. You have beachfront and then you have neighborhoods that are on the beach side of the highway like Point Doom. So it's very tricky. It's it's hard to learn the market. It takes time. I think that's why we don't see too many big international buyers. You really have to have uh, the desire for the Malibu lifestyle to buy in Malibu. Investors, it it might take a little bit too much time to learn the market. It might be easier for them to go to Santa Monica or Beverly Hills. Well, we're going to talk about this later, but you think about the value that a realtor brings to you know the transaction and you talk about all this eye buyer and all this stuff going on malibu is a case study for like if you don't especially you need to hire a someone like you who understands every nook and cranny because imagine searching realtor.com malibu 
you have no clue. That's why I love my job. It's for me. It's it's so fun when I get a buyer that's from say Chicago that I had here last week, and you know they've been to Malibu maybe once or twice or rented a house once for you know a weekend, and now they want to think about buying, and they, they'll come out here and they'll have an idea of what they want, and after you know an afternoon with me their idea of what they wanted was completely wrong and they want something completely different. Yeah. So it's a fun process, you know, teaching them, you know, if, if they want to buy on the beach, well, where do they want to be? They think they want to be close in, but then they realize that some of the most beautiful beaches are a little bit further out. Mm -hmm. You know, as you move further west in Malibu and get further from the city, you know, the wavelength changes, the energy changes. It's something very special. Obviously, uh, positioning, whether you're, if you want to have sunsets, you, you want to be west facing, western Malibu is fantastic for that. Some people love the sunrise and being able to see towards the east, which on this side of Point Doom you get. So it's, there's a lot of different things to learn out here for sure. Looking for a personal stylist for your home? Check out Bow Concept. One of their design consultants can help you make the most out of your space. No request is too big or small for living, dining, sleeping, home office, and outdoor spaces. And check out their Southern California showrooms in Orange County and Costa Mesa and also in Los Angeles and La Brea. For more information, visit Bow Concept at bowconcept.com. Email info at bowconcept.la. So since this is paradise, Sandro, logic would say that people hold their homes, they own them longer. Is that true, you think? Like, like if the average turnover is seven years elsewhere, yeah, is it that's is a good it question here? here. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's probably longer here than yeah, you most think, areas right? in the surrounding areas. Because it's like that in Palos Verdes. Yeah. Like in the beach cities, not, not so much. But sure. PV, it jumps way up, yeah. like double. Yeah, no, I think so. We have a ton of longtime residents that have been here since the 40s and 50s. You're starting to see a little bit of turnover as you know as they get older, and you know some of those old original ranch houses. It's a little sad because some of these communities that have the kind of old classic Malibu character are, are changing, where the old ranch houses are getting torn down and the new homes are being built. You know our, our community is a little bit at odds with that. They're trying to pass a new ordinance now to limit the maximum size of a home that can be built because they don't want to see this mansionization that's occurring in some of the other neighborhoods in Los, Ange Los Angeles yeah. and preserve our rural character that we have here. Yeah. Makes sense. Why do you think so many celebrities live in Malibu? I think they live here the same reason that we all want to live here. We love open space. We love nature. We love the pace uh, being a little bit slower. Privacy. Yeah. And just the geography lends itself to privacy and it's hard sort of to get here on some levels and hard to get out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Know, people complain that it's too far. And to me, I think that's one of the benefits. Part of the charm. You know? Part of the charm, yeah, yeah. It's cleansing, leaving the city behind you and, yeah. and coming out here. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally. Let's talk about some of the crazy pricing in real estate here. So the co-founder of the Hard Rock Cafe sold his mansion on Billionaire's Beach. Uh, I think it was last April for 100 and. 110 million. 110 million, yep. And the buyer completely gutted the house. <laughs> wow. Only in Malibu. Yeah. So that was the most expensive home sold in the U.S. last year. Do you think we'll ever break that record? I know we have, and it's not officially on the MLS, but the NBC Universal executive Ron Meyer has his home, right, at Paradise Cove for 125? 125, yeah. I don't know if that house will break the record, but there are several estates here in Malibu that are well north of 100 million. And approaching 200 and maybe over 200 million 
now if they sell or if they decide to sell will be the question. But I definitely think that we have homes in that caliber. So being Malibu centric, Sandra, I don't know how much you pay attention to what's happening, you know, um, in Beverly Hills and Bel Air and stuff, but you've seen some of the crazy stories. There's a billion dollar land deal. There's, you know, 500 million, which is now down to 250 million or down below. And what do you think about those prices over there? Do you well, it's different because there you have the inventory of all these homes, so it's a little tricky. Here in Malibu, we don't have the inventory. We don't have the development because it's so hard to build here in Malibu. Our codes don't allow for the sizes of homes that you're seeing in town. So we're not seeing this huge influx of all these spec homes like you're seeing in Bel Air with West Hollywood. So if you can get one through and or it's already built and needs updated, that's where you're going to get this crazy... Mondo exactly. Price. The existing larger homes and the ones that are, you know, in the pipeline that are under construction are the ones that are going to go up in value because of the code that's going to be changed that's going to limit the size of homes to 8,500 square feet potentially. So any home that's larger is only going to go up in value. And unfortunately, the original little ranch homes are going to go down in value because you can't develop them to what you could have several years ago. That makes sense. The ban U2. The Edge owns a big parcel of land up here, right? Yeah, he, is he, he owns a few, but yes. Is he developing? I, I read a while ago. He's like, been trying to. I just heard this morning that, unfortunately, uh, it was denied. It went to the uh, courts. and well, wow, breaking this, news. It's been many, many years, and unfortunately uh, for him, I think it's a shame because he had a beautiful design that I don't think really would affect the public's view of, of the hillside, um, but they wanted to make an example of him, and they did, which is... Uh, sad for him is it way up there like it's right above us yeah it's uh, above sarah retreat okay cool by the way for our listeners we are broadcasting live or actually not live well today's live from malibu california so uh, i wish you were here with us so let's talk about some of the other mega sales in the area what else sold above 50 or 60 in the last couple of years well we had a property above malibu road on the bluffs it was on the beach side of pacific coast highway but not beachfront because you had Malibu Road down below, which sold for $85 million plus another, I heard, 10 to $20 million for the contents. And it was a spectacular Scott Mitchell-designed home uh, that a, a Canadian billionaire purchased. Um, so a huge number for a home without beach frontage. You had uh, a couple other bluff properties, Cindy Crawford's uh, estate that she, she actually bought a large estate uh, and then split it in half. She bought the whole thing for... 50 and then split a portion of it in half and sold that for 45 million. Wow. You know, it's crazy. If you tried to name all the celebrities that live here, we'd be here for another hour and a half. Yeah. Like literally, right? From <laughs> Cher to Barbara Streisand. And it just goes on and on and on. Right. Yeah, it sure. Does. It's crazy. So there's a lot of scuttlebutt, a lot of, you know, with the development, obviously the, the Coastal Commission, we talked about the edge, you know, his recent deal that got denied. Tell us about like how, difficult or how how does that whole sort of navigation on the Coastal Commission and the planning work here in Malibu? Yeah, well, the city of Malibu, we have our own local coastal plan, uh, which uh, includes the Coastal Commission's uh, guidelines. Our city council and our planning commission is really making it a point to preserve Malibu and our rural character and environment that we have here. That's why it's so restrictive to build, and that's why they're trying to limit the size of homes to what they're calling preserve the rural character. They're trying to enact neighborhood standards. So instead of having a total developable square footage per plan, 
it would be based on the neighborhood. So if you have a, a neighborhood where the average home is 4,000 square feet, they want the largest home to be only 4,000 square feet. Got it, got it. So the real estate industry has changed quite a bit in the last, well, it's it's entirely changed in the last, say, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And even in the last three years, it's it's even changing at a more sure, accelerated it's rate. It's changing, yeah. And you've seen a lot of consolidation with brokerages. And obviously the biggest is Compass, you know, the newcomer who's got uh, a war chest of sure. of private equity. Spending and a lot of money. Yep. Spending a lot of money um, and making their moves. What, what do you think about the consolidation and, and the industry change? You know, um, it's inevitable. You have a lot of these older brokerages that aren't keeping up with today's technology and marketing standards. So there's definitely an opportunity for somebody to come in and take a lot of these agents that are unhappy. What's amazing with the agency is we have a boutique family feel. We have a culture behind our company, which is very special, which when I came to the agency, obviously I knew how amazing their branding and their marketing was, but I I wasn't aware of, of the culture. And when I got here, that's really probably one of the most impressive things about our company is how I love working here. Everybody that works here loves it. We're all a big family and it makes selling real estate so much more fun when it's a collaborative effort within the company instead of everybody within the company fighting. Yeah. Um, you know, at my previous brokerage and a lot of the other big ones, you have all these agents fighting to be the top agent within their company. Uh, we're here at the agency that's we're, we're, we're totally different vibe. Totally you know, we different get that. Vibe. In previous podcasts, we interviewed Santiago Arana and Mauricio. Sure. And they same vibe. You guys are it's all for one, one for all. Yeah. Um, it's it's really refreshing to see because it's hard enough out there competing with the market, let alone if you're infighting in under a brokerage it was name. So refreshing after, you know, almost thirteen years in my previous brokerage to come here and be able to curate my own office here as a managing partner with like minded individuals and see it become so successful and it's been very gratifying for sure. Very cool. And by the way, for fun, I asked Mauricio, would he ever sell to Compass? And he said, no way, no, no way. <laughs> so you guys are going to be the agency for a long yes. time. So just another brokerage question. Do you think bigger is better? Um, not necessarily, no. I can understand why some people think that. But honestly, once you get too big, the quality control becomes a lot more difficult. That makes sense. You know, the market in Malibu is much kind of like the South Bay where, you know, it's kind of in its own bubble. And I mean that in a good way where it kind of marches to its own drum and to its own tune. It Things are done differently in areas like this. It's just the way it's always been. And that really is sort of um, interesting as it relates to other brokerages trying to come in and expand. I mean, South Bay in, in particular has really been its own little thing. And, you know, Douglas Elman has come in and uh, the agency is in South Bay now. I'm missing some names. Compass has just arrived, but it's been like, it's been really, really hard for anyone to come in and gain traction. Is Malibu kind of like that? It definitely is. It's also hard for agents. You know, a lot of agents want to break into the Malibu market and it's a difficult market to get into. Malibu seems like it's even like the 80-20 rules, one of my favorite rules, right? It might even be 90-10 here. I think it's 95-5. Like literally we could name, which we won't. Yeah, on one hand. On one hand, the guys, and you're one of them. Yeah. That literally command 
you know, 90% of the market, probably like five or six people. <laughs> yeah. What's exciting to see though, is here at the agency in Malibu is, is the young talent that's coming in and that's starting to take hold and do with a lot of the business. You know, a lot of the, the agents here in Malibu have been here for many, many years and they're older and they're starting to retire. Uh, and I think Malibu is just on its upswing here. And fortunately we have the top young agents in the city here in this office. That's great. I'd say the average age in this office is probably 30, maybe wow. less. Yeah. And you look at the average age of the top 1% and, you know, and it's a lot older than 30, but that dynamic is changing rapidly. No. Yeah. And that's what I tell my newer agents in this office is, you know, they get, they get bummed out on a deal that didn't work out or how something went down. And I remind them, look, this is the beginning of your career. You know, imagine where you're going to be 10, 15 yeah. years from now, you know, we're going to be dominating. Yeah. And prices will keep going up. They and, still you know. will. Yeah. So the, the, the only sort of caveat to that is there's a whole nother school of thought, right? And this is where there's big money being spent on Wall Street. I'm trying to, I'm going to screw this word up, but disintermediate. Did I say that correctly? Um, the, the, yeah, the agent, right? Because they look at industries and they go, how do we make it more efficient? Yeah. And what that means is, how do we squeeze out all the costs and maximize yield? Sure, it's like Air, it's like Uber or Airbnb and these different disruptors. And I think that yeah, you you are going to see that in the real estate industry definitely, but it's going to be a lot harder for that to happen in areas like Malibu, where there are so many different types of homes, so many different neighborhoods. Local knowledge here in Malibu is so hard to come by, and that is why people still need a real estate agent here in Malibu. If you're buying in a neighborhood that's cookie cutter, that's, you know, these plan unit developments, you won't really need a real estate agent as much. Here, you, you really do. And I think it's also the price points too, right? Like multi-million dollar homes. It's interesting, when you study like commerce, e-commerce, there's different products that just don't do well online. Like if you look at sunglasses, people want to put them on to see how they look. They want to wear it. They want to check them out, right? It's not something you're just going to buy online per se. And homes are, are kind of like that too. Yeah, and I look at myself as, as a real estate advisor to my clients. You know, my high-end clients, they have a portfolio of homes. And I'm here managing their portfolio of homes that's in Malibu. And you're seeing more and more international buyers wanting to get into this market. To be able to be one of those advisors, I think, is you know where my value is for sure. That's great. Well, you've done an amazing job and continue to do an amazing job. So I want to put you on the spot now and, and try to get some funny stories out of you, Sandro. Can you tell us a funny sort of can't believe it happened real estate story? I know um, you've got a few. Let's, God, I have a lot of them, but uh, they're really not funny. <laughs> they're like kind of, it's kind of scary. <laughs> but um, could be scary. Like just something yeah, that's off the Scary clients, path. really. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that's the thing about this business, right? It's yeah, like it's we're managing personalities and people and emotions and you know divorces. I had a, a you know unfortunately divorce is a big part of our business in real estate, and I've seen some nasty ones. One where you know the wife didn't want to leave the home, and we were in escrow, and it was a, a fifteen million dollar home, and she literally the husband came onto the property and she attacked him with a rake, 
and had to call the police in front of the buyers. It was um, a whole ordeal. Just a whole, yeah. Yeah. This is what you do to, to earn that commission. Oh, yeah. You gotta, you gotta. No, we're yeah. earning it out here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I've been publishing digs for nine years, and I feel like sometimes I'm like a therapist. Oh yeah, no. I'm talking. We're to, definitely therapists you know, and drinks. Yeah. This has happened, and you wouldn't believe what this happened with this sale, and then, and then. Well, residential real estate, a lot of emotions are involved in yeah. the transaction. Well, it's high dollar volume. It's the largest transaction of anyone's yeah, you know, life yeah. for the most part. And they're emotionally attached. They have memories and history in the home. And it's not an easy transaction for some people. And, and we're hired to make the process as easy as possible. And it's not just the paperwork and, and the money, but it's also you know emotionally to get them through it. Well, and, and you're on a different sort of sphere in terms of like, that's true for real estate in the U.S. anywhere, right? in Riverside or wherever yeah. it is, right? But in Malibu, you're dealing with this level of clientele and celebrity and professional athletes and business leaders. Like how, tell us about that dynamic. How do you, do you have to adjust to that? Do you have to, how do you, yeah, how do you mean, navigate? That's how you're successful in real estate is being able to adapt to a client, whether it's a seller that you're representing or it's a buyer walking in for a showing. You know, it's, it's understanding how, Either that buyer wants the house to be shown to them uh, or how that seller wants the business to be handled, uh, whether it's through their business manager or if it's through them, do they want a text, do they want a phone call, and, it, and it's adapting to their needs. So, but then everyone's going to be different. So if, you're, if your listing shares house is going to be different maybe than Barbara Streisand or something, it's like they're going to have, okay, you yeah, have to deal with their again, people. different or... personalities, and that's why I love this job because it's never the same. It's never boring. <laughs> it's high uh, stress, uh, which I like, and it's always something new. You're never seeing the same thing again. Yeah. <laughs> it beats Wall Street, right? It does. <laughs> What's your take on the million-dollar listing and all these new reality TV shows about real estate? Uh, they're very entertaining. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the guys that are on the show have been very successful. Uh, the, sh the show's definitely helped their careers for sure. It sort of perpetuates the myth, though, how easy this is and how glamorous. It and does. How... Well, the show makes, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that's on the show is, is made for the show. It's not the reality of the business. Yeah. But, you know, the guys that are successful, they're not successful just because uh, they're on the TV show. They're successful because they're successful and they're really good at what they do. Yeah, before they were on the TV show. Yeah. That's yeah. why they're on the TV yeah, show, right? exactly. Closing thoughts. What are your two pieces of advice you would give your younger self? I think it goes back to the communication thought we had earlier. It would be to really communicate from your heart and from your gut. Don't hold anything back in life. That definitely uh, would have came in handy younger, uh, earlier on in my life for sure. That's part of the, that's how we become who we who we become, though, right? You gotta you have to fail. Failures only leads to success. Yeah, and you know, never give up continue you know this is we have a long life ahead of us and a long career and you're going to see many disappointments and many failures along the way and it's always looking forward i learned that you know early on in my career for my mom is always looking forward continue working hard down markets up markets if you closed a big deal or if you haven't closed anything in a while it's still the same you, you keep working hard and keep going for it are you one of those individuals that sets crazy goals for yourself like do you go okay this last year i did 160 million this year i'm going to do 200 million and then the year after that or do you just focus and grind i just focus and grind 
Um, and, and the results come. The result. Yeah. That's why I love this business is yeah. because it's very results driven. You know, you, you work really hard and it pays off. I, th- I think that's a common trait because I haven't asked that specific question, but I'm always curious. But it seems like everyone who's doing north of 100 million, which is insanely hard to do, like insanely hard to do. It's focus, it's focus. grind, and you, it's day, hour by it's hour, day by day. And it's nonstop and you're always working. And what's funny, I always ask, no excuses. (laughs) Yeah. What would you do last year? I was, um, cause I, I look at it from, I used to be a CEO. I look at like business, like numbers, like, what'd you do? What would, what'd you do last year? And most of the top agents go, I don't, I don't know. They they might know 160 million there, but they don't know. Some don't even know. I don't know. I sold uh, X number of homes or it's just fascinating because they're just, they're grinding. They're working hard and it's, and our job is constant. You know, the reason uh, the top agents are successful is because they're always available. I mean, even if you're on a vacation with your family, you're on your phone, you're sending emails, you're closing deals because the work never stops. The real estate doesn't stop. 24 seven, three, six, five. And you got to love it. And if, as long as you love it and you work really hard, you can be successful in this business. What would you tell our audience that something that they would be really surprised to know about you? (laughs) That I love cats and I have two at home. (laughs) Uh, What are the names? uh, Oscar and Mario. All right. Shout out to Oscar and Mario. And if it was up to my fiance, we would have three more. <laughs> That's, That's not cool. happening. Yeah. <laughs> At least anytime soon. No. <laughs> That's funny. I've been a cat person my whole life. And this is the first time in my life I don't own a cat. Um, we have a dog. The kids want a dog. Go, you should go rescue a cat. I know. I know. Go to the shelter today. Come on. I know. Let's go after this. <laughs> We're going, honey, I brought home a cat. <laughs> and I wonder how my dog Chip would like that. I'd probably like it. Oh, they'll become friends. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? Anything by Ayn Rand, I really enjoy. Cool. I uh, started reading that when I was at UCLA as an economic student. Awesome. Do you have a favorite business leader? Anyone who you look up to or aspire to be more like? Let's see. You know, some of my friends that are, are very successful, Adam Bernhard, who is one of my close friends and uh, entrepreneur, I always ask him for advice and look up to him. He, he's been a great mentor for me. Cool. I know you're a surfer. Longboard or shortboard? Uh, you know, as I'm getting older, the boards are getting longer. So I'm I'm the same. <laughs> I, I've been surfing. I used to surf Malibu as a kid, and like, and you know, I had my interesting. This is I'm dating myself, but my high school ID card uh-huh. used to get me into the gate, one of the gates in Point Doom. Oh wow! Oh, so wow. we used to surf there yeah. as, as we were locals, even though yeah. we were Westlake Village locals. Yeah. But, I look at my old shortboards from when I was like in high school and college, and I don't even think I, they would float me anymore. Yeah. So I need something with some more foam. Exactly. I'm in the same boat. I'm surfing like an 8.0. Eight yeah. yeah, me too. I'm perfectly fine with that. I can turn I it. I just like the cruise, get just some good catch waves. The damn wave. Yeah, I'm not trying to <laughs> boost any airs or anything, that's for sure. All right, Malibu Point or Point Doom? Uh, that's a or tough Zuma one. Beach. Or Zuma Beach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Zuma. Yeah. Yeah. I own a property on Point Dooms. I have a key. I surf Little Doom. Um, obviously, the wave at First Point is the best, one of the best waves in the world. Uh, but the crowd, you know, the, one yeah, of the main reasons for surfing is to kind of escape and be in the moment. It's kind of hard to do that at First Point. So I, I like finding my own little peak at Zuma with a couple friends. You know what's crazy? I was just t- telling this to another dad. At my younger kids' uh, baseball, we were talking about this. Zuma Beach... This is how times have changed. When I was a kid, and I want to say, like, when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, 
our parents used to drop us off at Zuma Beach on the way to work. Yeah. At, at like five, six in the morning and pick us up at six o'clock yeah, at yeah. night. Yeah. And I had like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a towel and no sunscreen. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. And yeah. you can't do that these days. It's like, it's the world has changed. But Nobu or Paradise Cove Beach Cafe? Uh, Nobu. That's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> Nobu at the top top? Nobu. That's a no brainer. <laughs> that's awesome. What's your favorite vacation spot? Ibiza, Spain. Very Just cool. got back from there. Nice. One of my favorite places in the world. It uh, has a very magnetic energy, unlike anywhere else I've been. Very cool. So, Sonar, is there anything else you want to share with our audience that we haven't touched on? or uh, any No, other? I just want to say thank you for having me, Warren. I uh, really enjoyed this. It's been a pleasure Likewise. to be on the show. Likewise, I think we got a chance and our audience got a chance to learn a lot more about you, the person. We know your, the names of your cats, which is, you know, we didn't know <laughs> definitely before the podcast started. Continued success to you and uh, keep living the dream in Malibu. I will. Thank you so much. You got it. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.